on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Well, it's a backdoor way to effectively force automakers to make more electric vehicles. A journalist well familiar with energy trends will share his thoughts at an Iowa workshop next month. Iowa's economy is based on a strong agricultural foundation, so how is the industry positioned as the new growing season begins? And in our business profile, we'll reintroduce you to a business that works to keep other businesses growing. This is the Iowa Business Report for the fourth weekend of April 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The second Energy Trends Workshop will be held on Thursday, May 4th at the West Des Moines Marriott. The day-long seminar is titled Elevating the Energy Conversation. It's presented by the Iowa Waste Reduction Center, University of Northern Iowa, and the Iowa Association for Energy Efficiency. The keynote speaker will be Texas-based author and journalist Robert Bryce, who has been writing about energy, power, innovation, and politics for more than 30 years. And his message will no doubt lead to much discussion. Well, in brief, it's talking about renewables, hydrocarbons, and and the fuels of the future. What is the situation? There is a lot of hyperbole around energy and power. I pride myself on my numbers, and so I'm going to you know give all the attendees uh, give it to them straight. Here's where we are in terms of this energy transition. A phrase we hear a lot: Is it real? I think a lot of it is hyperbole. And when you look at the numbers, particularly globally. Um, And those are the things I'm going to discuss, as well as what's happening here in the U.S., of course, with the electric grid, because there's a lot of focus on this, especially with the Biden administration's recent proposals on electric vehicles and the electrify everything push, the push for renewables. All these things are front and center and and will affect ratepayers in Iowa and all across the country. There are a lot of people who say that the goals that you just mentioned that the administration has, they're aspirational. That's great. But from a practical standpoint, The timetables are far too optimistic. The infrastructure isn't there, not to mention the public education and acceptance standpoint. I guess, how do you respond to those who raise their hand and say, that's just not the direction to go just yet? Well, I I stand with a lot of those people. Let's just look at at the issue of electric vehicles. So in the last few days, we've heard this, uh, the new uh, proposed rule from the EPA that would tighten tailpipe emission rules. Well, it's a backdoor way to effectively force automakers to make more electric vehicles. Well, there are three problems with that. Affordability, the the reliability of the grid and China. And just briefly, affordability, who buys EVs? It's the Benz and Beamer crowd. You know, these aren't being bought by working class people. The average household income for an uh, EV buyer is $140,000. That's twice the U.S. average. And then you add in the issue of the grid and the grid upgrades that are going to be required, which will be massive to replace the amount of energy we consume in the form of gasoline and diesel fuel, which those costs will be borne by ratepayers. And then finally, why ever would we make our one of our most important industries, the auto sector, dependent on Chinese supply chains? I mean, and that is what EVs are, whether it's the neodymium iron boron magnets or the batteries, China controls the key critical metals and minerals and the magnets that go into electric vehicles. I, I just think this is a uh, this is bad policy. I recall during the early days of the pandemic, 
there were questions about pharmaceuticals. And the response was, well, we may have a hard time getting things because so much of it comes from China. And my first reaction, and I'm sure that of many people listening, was how is it that our pharmaceuticals, our medicine, the stuff that keeps us up and running as humans, how is it that it's dependent on any other country, let alone China? It seems like that lesson was not learned as we now are pushing this EV approach. Well, and I'd say it, it goes beyond the question of electric vehicles. Yes. Um, let's also look at, and and that's a good example, the pharmaceutical one. And none of this happens overnight, right? These are multi-year and even decadal trends, right? Where we seeded our ability to produce rare earth elements, uh, in particular neodymium, praseodymium, the, the things that we need are so-called green elements uh, that are critical to all, nearly all of these alternative energy technologies. It's not just that, it's that we've also seeded the uranium and, and nuclear fuel supply chain to Russia. So I'm adamantly pro-nuclear, but getting the U.S. back into the nuclear game, it's not just about overcoming regulations at the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That's a big part of it. But we also have to be more self-sufficient in terms of the fuel that goes into the reactors. And right now, we're almost wholly, not wholly dependent. 20% of the fuel in our reactors comes from Russia today. But when we look at the future for what's called high-assay, low-enriched uranium, almost all of that comes from Russia. So these supply chain issues are now suddenly uh, you know, coming to the fore but they've been brewing for a long time. The U.S. has spent something like $900 billion on wind and subsidies and spending for wind and solar over the last few decades. The fact is that over those past few decades, hydrocarbons continue to grow faster than wind and solar combined, despite all this subsidy. So I want to focus on the reality, not the hyperbole. What is really happening in the world? And what we saw, even the latest data from the International Energy Agency a few days ago, showing that once again, the growth in hydrocarbons, coal, oil, and natural gas, far outstripping the growth in renewables. And that's some of it's the story from China and India, but a lot of that is happening here in the U.S. as well, where we see hydrocarbon growth continue to outstrip the growth in wind and solar, despite all this talk about the energy transition. I take it you believe in an all-of-the-above approach to energy? I'm for all of the smart. I'm for all of the things that work. And you know, I'm going to also speak very plainly coming to Iowa. You know, there has been a lot of friction in the state of Iowa and pushback against renewable energy. And it's not just renewables. Remember that it's also on the siting of high voltage transmission lines. It was in 2017 that the Iowa legislature passed a bill and that was signed into law that prohibits private companies from using eminent domain to seize land for high voltage transmission. So all of this comes down to what my friend Lee Cordner says, when it comes to energy infrastructure, where are you going to put it? How are you going to connect it? And how do you pay for it? And Iowa has an interesting state in many ways, right? Politically, of course, because of the caucuses, but also because it has been one of the states where you put in a lot of wind energy capacity, but you're seeing now continuing resistance in rural Iowa. And I'm a lot of in touch with a lot of these people. I've documented these on in the renewable rejection database farmers, ranchers saying, we don't want these big projects near our homes. We don't want high voltage transmission projects crossing our county. And so these are critical issues and as well as the issue of of nuclear power and what's going to be next for Iowa. So I want to talk about in my presentation, talk about what's real, what is really happening and then what's going to happen. Why do we, in my view, and it's very clear, if we're serious about decarbonization, serious about climate change, we have to get serious about nuclear power and we need to do it right darn quick. Finally, as you look at this event in Iowa and the people who will be there. These are some of the people who are very interested, obviously, or they wouldn't be there. 
you might kick up a little bit of dust with it, but that's sort of the point of making people think. What do you hope that they? It's the it's the agitator that gets the clothes clean. That's what uh, Hightower, Jim Hightower, used to say. <laughs> so, I'm going to be provocative. I'm not going to go out of my way to insult anybody, but I'm you know there is it's very clear when you look at what is going on, and particular where Iowa has become one of the key battlegrounds in terms of energy policy. You know where is the state going to go? And there are a few very big companies that have a lot of sway in Iowa. But I'm not just, it's not just about Iowa. I just think Iowa is, you know, it reflects a lot of the things in the rest of the United States. So I want to bring that home and put it into a global context so that we understand, you know, how much of what we're talking about are dreams. And I think a lot of this renewable stuff is just dreams. And how much of it is about the reality of our need for hydrocarbons and our aspiration that we can go and decarbonize and have more nuclear, but to talk very frankly about what that's going to mean. Robert Bryce will be the keynote speaker at the Energy Trends Workshop in West Des Moines on May 4th. We spoke via Zoom on Monday, April 17th. To learn more about the Energy Trends Workshop or to register, go to the website of the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. That's IWRC.org. Still to come, assessing farm prospects. And later, a unique investment fund designed to help grow Midwest businesses. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Make plans to attend the annual Camp Courageous Omelette Breakfast and Open House at the Camp Main Lodge near Monticello on Sunday, April 30th. Serving is from 8 until noon, featuring made-to-order omelets, sausage, toast, milk, juice, and coffee. Only $10 for adults, $5 for those age 12 and under. Special tours, train rides, and zipline trips, too. For more, go to campcourageous.org slash omelet. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa. Educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. So much goes into a successful growing season. Weather, costs, skill, and political factors to name a few. So how does the Iowa egg situation look heading into the 2023 planting season? I spoke this past week with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, Mike Nag. We had a really good window that opened up here, sandwiched between uh, you had some severe weather that moved through part of the state, and then, of course, we all had the nasty weather over the weekend with some uh, measurable snow even in places. But in between, there were several days that, you know, we were above 80 degrees, and that window really opened and folks started planting in southwest Iowa. Certainly, they got a good jump. South Central, Southeastern Iowa, really a good jump. Got at it. Uh, you know, the calendar, though, you look at that date and you say it's a little early for those of us who farm uh, up north to be getting too excited, but we definitely saw planters running really across the state. But, you know, as we look at the situation, we've been so dry the last three years. Not so much in northeast Iowa, of course, but western Iowa, southern Iowa has had dry pockets. So actually, the rain has been a blessing. We've got to get things in the ground here, but we certainly need a more active weather pattern. We just hope it's not severe. You look at the beginning of the last two growing seasons, and we were terribly dry. So there's more moisture out there. We're going to shift into an El Nino weather pattern, which should bring us more precipitation. You know, we've all been watching how that rain has seemed like it just wanted to keep 
heading east of us. The eastern Corn Belt was seeing all kinds of rain. Well, think of it this way. That should all shift back towards our direction. And so I I think there's every reason to be hopeful that we will see, again, that more active precipitation weather pattern that we need to. But make no mistake, three years of significant drought across much of the state of Iowa had us in some really dry conditions. It was actually one of the wetter winters that we've ever had, but you don't gain a whole lot of moisture in that soil profile throughout the winter months. So really, it's about from here forward, and we'll be uh, certainly praying for uh, the right amount of rain. Coming up, a unique answer to financing challenges facing Iowa businesses. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Hello, fellow Iowans. This is Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Our March-April issue kicks off our series about Grenville Dodge, the architect of the Iron Road, and includes stories about the Effigy Mounds National Monument, Iowa State Hockey, Traveling Iowa, and Bailing Hay, among others. Pick up the March-April issue of Iowa History Journal at Hy-Vee, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and Select Mills Fleet Farm stores, or visit iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review their latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. We received a news release this past week concerning one of the businesses we've featured on this program, Midwest Growth Partners. The Iowa-based private equity firm announced recently the completion of fundraising for its third investment fund. The firm exceeded its initial fundraising goal, raising $170 million in its largest fundraising effort to date. Over the next five years, MGP will make 10 to 15 investments with what is known as Fund 3. Sometimes a good business idea needs a financial partner. Sometimes an existing business needs help in taking the operation to the next level. And sometimes a business needs new ideas and new funding in order to be reborn. Midwest Growth Partners has worked with businesses just like those and many others and holds a unique place in the Iowa market. We first spoke with John Michelson, founder and managing partner of Midwest Growth Partners, for this program in October of 2020. Midwest Growth Partners is a private equity fund, which uh, in Iowa is not a is not something that you run into quite often. But we actually wear that as a point of pride. We raise capital from outside investors, primarily those that are involved in food and agriculture, uh, the farm credit system, families that have started and, and had successful businesses, and then we use that capital to purchase parts of or all of businesses, primarily again in food and agriculture and manufacturing. Typically, those are succession planning scenarios where you have a business owner or owners that is seeking to uh, retire or to move on with life, or uh, it's a a capital raise scenario where a business um, is seeking out capital because they want to grow. So maybe they want to purchase a competitor, or maybe they want to add on to their facility, or maybe they want to start a new product line. So that's usually where we get involved where sort of traditional bank lending stops um, and we can step in and become a a value-added equity partner. You mentioned that this is not something we hear about a lot in the state of Iowa. So why is that? And if that's the case, why does it work for you folks? 
the large uh, metropolitan areas, the large money centers like New York and Chicago, that's typically where you would find most equity funds. And they do a great job. And there's a lot of great people that that work in those funds and work in the industry. Um, but we're just a little bit different. We are native Iowans, the, the partners of the fund. We know that there's a lot of great little businesses spread throughout the rural areas, uh, particularly of the Midwest. So those are really our targets. And so there's great groups that can can effectuate transactions in larger communities. And and we're specifically set up to, to help uh, effectuate transactions in smaller communities. And so that's that's sort of who we are and we embrace it and we're very proud of it. How did it come about? In 2013 was the year that we were founded. Um, I've worked in finance my whole career and, and, and my partners have been around the M&A landscape their entire careers. And uh, we both kept running into situations where there was a retiring business owner. Right now, you might be familiar with the silver tsunami, they call it. So there are uh, 10,000 people a day turning 65 in the U.S., so inevitably, some of them uh, own nice little businesses in the Midwest. And so we were constantly running into that uh, in our former careers and just realized that there's not a pool of institutional capital that's set up to help with that. And so we, we saw a need and uh, fortunately, we were able to convince some investors that that was a good idea as well. And uh, that was the, the impetus for the fund getting started. So how is it that you're able to acquire or invest in a business? Do people seek you out? Is it the kind of thing where you hear about something and then make an overture? I imagine there are a variety of ways, but how does this typically work? Yeah, so this year we'll look at uh, about 450 opportunities and we'll do three or four. So it's a it's a big funnel, uh, so we get to see a lot. But to answer your question, about 60% of that 450 comes from individual or groups that we call investment bankers in our industry. And so their job is to go out and find capital on behalf of their client. So a business owner might decide that they want to retire in 2021. And so they will hire an investment banker to go out and and sell their business. And so that's where about 60% of our opportunities come from. The other 40% uh, we're really proud of we consider those just proprietary in nature back to the, uh, you know, why are we in Iowa type thing? Uh, because we're somewhat novel, we do get looks at opportunities that, you know, funds in Chicago probably don't just because we are sort of the local group. And so particularly in the early days of the fund, we spent a tremendous amount of time driving around and talking to pretty much anyone that would talk to us. So that might be economic developers, it might be chamber people, it might be municipality employees in small towns, and just telling our story, telling them this is what we look for, we've got capital. Once they got over the fact that uh, we weren't an evil private equity guy, like tends to be the uh, the stereotype, then inevitably a lot of them would say, "Oh yeah, you know my my brother-in-law owns a nice little business, and he's in uh, he's in Jewel, Iowa. You should call him." You know that just sort of manifested itself into sort of a snowball effect that we continue to to benefit from today. Now, obviously, for you to invest, you're expecting to get a positive return on that investment. So differentiate for me why someone who either has a business or is looking to expand, why they would seek you out as a partner as opposed to going through, and you alluded to it earlier, but as opposed to going through a more traditional, shall we say, lending scheme. And obviously, debt today is incredibly cheap. By all means, we encourage them to to pursue those avenues first. But debt is a secured uh, instrument. It's it's uh, intentionally 
limited um, because of its risk characteristics and its return characteristics. And so it's intentionally a, a, a low risk, low return mechanism. And so in, in almost all cases, you know, we're not secured by any assets. We're not secured by anything that would um, sort of give us a backstop if things happen to the business and things do happen to the business every day. And so uh, it's just a different asset class. And so many times a bank will say, hey, business owner, you know, we're willing to give you this much for this project and we think it's a great idea, but you need to go out and find capital for whatever the excess amount is above that amount. And so that's usually where we get involved. So then does that earn you a stake, an ownership interest? Do you float it as uh, financing like a loan or how does that typically work? We typically lead with equity. Um, we can do subordinated debt like you're talking about, but yeah, more often than not, we're, we're partners. And so it's sort of like a marriage. Uh, it's a lot like a marriage. And so we, we get involved with them as in a partnership. If the situation calls for subordinated debt, we can do that as well. John Michelson, founder and managing partner of Midwest Growth Partners. Learn more about their process and their investments by going to their website, mgpfund.com. Again, that conversation took place in October of 2020, and now all told, the firm is responsible for more than $325 million of private capital across those three funds. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. That's where you'll find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR extras and IBR business profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.